It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about, fin it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and are dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Hello, we are Generation Skywalker. And this is the first ever episode of Those Old Fossils. And this is our vintage roundtable show. And it's lovely to have Generation Skywalker hosts completely across the board. We have got with us Craig. Hello, Craig. Hello. Jez. Hello, mate. Mark. Good evening. And Simon, who was meant to be here, but he's decided to work. No, he's, uh, he's been held up at work. We've already put this off two, three times. So although we will normally have five hosts on these roundtables, tonight we just have four and Simon's notes. So uh, we're all good. Now, as it's the first um, roundtable for the vintage, I was going to go around you all and get you to give us a, a 60 second overview of vintage collecting habits, what you're currently collecting, what your collection looks like. Now, I know some of you have got quite extensive collections, so um, yeah, you've got to get it into under a minute. So let's start with Mark. Um, I collect pretty much solely vintage stuff, very little modern. I like unusual stuff from the UK. Uh, I collect Palatoy. Um, I collect Palatoy reseals. And I also collect UK cast and crew items like cinema tickets, uh, that kind of thing. So, we're, yeah, vintage almost 100%. British then, really? V no, no Kenner, uh, no US stuff, no foreign stuff, just UK stuff, yeah. Jez? Well, from my point of view, quite similar to Mark in a lot of respects. However, I'm I uh, I tend to have a fairly broad church. So, whilst for me it's, it's nostalgia and the wonder, I you know got back into collecting about eleven years ago after finding a uh, a figure at my parents' house. So, yeah, a lot of British stuff. But I also do like having a variety of things in my collection, which isn't particularly large. But I, I, I do welcome the the Kenner, the Kenner calendar, um, Japanese. I've got quite a few Japanese bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, I just um, anything which takes my fancy, really. Quite um, like a lot of the colours, but also the, the cast and crew stuff as, as Mark's into. I'd know, just, I'd know. If anything just grabs my imagine, imagination, I'll go for it. 
Very nice, mate. Very nice. Craig? Um, yes, yeah, similar, really. Um, primarily vintage, although I do dabble in, in modern things. And that vintage stuff is skewed towards the UK. I think that's because that's where a lot of the nostalgia sits. You know, the toys, everything that you would expect, but a lot of the, the kind of side material, big stationary fan, soaps and smellies and things like that. You know, and, and I'm a big fan of kind of the printed stuff, um, the ephemera, the stuff that got thrown away. Anything with sort of brightly coloured graphics from that era, it's just, you know, I'm like a magpie for that stuff. Brilliant. Well, that was very well done, boys. 60 seconds, no more, only... And Jez went slightly over. You boys, as you get to record with him, you'll find that he does waffle. I don't believe I did, actually, um, <laughs> but there we go. Like all our round tables, five topics we will be discussing. So we've chosen five um, five vintage topics. On to topic one. Now, now Jez, you, you came up with this, and uh, I think it's probably, I think you told me it was maybe a, a moment you were having recently. And I, I'm going to read it exactly how you put it to me. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you ever ask yourself, why the hell am I collecting this stuff? I think you have to ask yourself, why did you start collecting? And then where has your collecting journey got you? You know, and and I started collecting, if I can, mate, I, you know, I started collecting for nostalgia and just for the whole childhood, bringing it all back. And um, as someone else said earlier on, for, uh, you know, to simpler times and everything. And all that was great. And then, and then it goes from, oh, I'm going to choose a loose figure. Oh, I'll get a loose complete one. Oh, now I'll do this. Now, now I'll see if I can get, you know, a run of loose figures. Oh, I've got my first carded figure. And then suddenly you find yourself listening to a podcast where people are discussing the intricacies between, oh, this is a 20D and this is a 20E and I need to get myself this and I need to get myself that. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I going with my life? What am I, hang on a second. I, 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 I've got, really really important things to do and i need to do this and i've got this assignment with work and i've got that to do and and i was just sort of getting bogged down with real detail and i was just thinking i'm a complete nerd and if if any of my sort of work colleagues listen to the conversation which i was listening to or participating in it would just be a case of what on earth are you talking about have you have you gone mad and um Sometimes I just think to myself, you know, what I know that you should collect what brings you pleasure and, and you should collect for you, not for anyone else. But it, it's just every now and then I just feel like, why, where am I going? But I, but I do still massively part of this collecting community. But I've just found it in the moment. I've I've taken a real hiatus of, of, of collecting. I'm still looking at stuff. and I'm still seeing stuff on Facebook. But for some reason, I've uh, I've not bought much, but I'm cool with that. Don't mean to say I love it any less, but I'm just not buying much at the moment. They find collecting goes in those kind of cycles anyway, where where life gets in the way and it maybe takes a backseat, and but you then get that time and you re dip into it, and that it, yeah. it, it it comes in waves, doesn't it? It really does. I think it may well come back to me again when I when I go get away again with work, because you know I I did find when I went away last time that if you remember I was buying loads i was ordering stuff because it just again rooted me in that security and that belonging and that nostalgia the love all of those things which actually i yearned for a little bit more because i was away from my family because i was away from those around me so i have a feeling that my sort of desire to increase my collection and my love for you know for being a vintage collector will come back a little bit more in in the next month or so Yes, it's a strange one. You see it, collectors, you, you see the classic guy who comes in, usually a guy, but, um, you know, that 
it could be anyone but traditionally a guy who'll just come in and just hoover up everything you see it on the forums we used to see guys you know buying and buying and buying and buying and buying we'd be like whoa man slow down you're gonna burn out and nine times out of ten you wouldn't see that person again after a couple of months or so it's very very easy to get carried away in this game isn't it it is now we can go to mark and craig here because you both got quite big big collections and been collecting for quite a while do do you hit those same sort of walls craig your your collection is probably the biggest out of all of us here i think everyone would agree on that i think mine's very eclectic it feels big it feels bigger than it is yeah I mean, <laughs> well what about your collection mate <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I compose myself um yeah i mean i i was lucky I was lucky that my mum never threw things away. I gave it to the kid down the road, and that's so. I ne- and I feel like I never really stopped. I mean, there was a there was a break when I did uh, teenage things, and um, but it wasn't long before I got back into it. Uh, so it's always been there. I've never kind of felt the urge to sell it on or, or or be so disillusioned with it. But it does come in, in ebbs and flows, and that's that can be determined by anything. What's going on in your personal life, where it physically is at any given time. I know that. At one time, it was all stored in a, in, a, in a beautifully converted loft, but it was shut away. Uh, and sometimes it would be shut away for you know, weeks and months ends, uh, and I didn't add to it or, or particularly go up there or in, enjoy it. I, I think as collecting is more of an everyday stimulus for me with, with you know, on Facebook and, and, and chatting to more people I've got to know, it's, it's more evergreen than it's, than it's ever been. It's always there. But a couple of years ago, we moved house. It was in storage, and parts of it was sort of went forgotten for for a good chunk of time while I tinkered with other bits. So it does it it, it does come and go, and it ebbs and flows. And I'm not a particularly focused collector, um, and I think that keeps it keeps it fresh for me. Um, I don't get obsessive about you know variations and things like that. And I've got any number of runs at any given point. So you know, in answer to the question, yeah, it it does it it, it comes and goes for sure. How often? You, you, how often do you, would you add something to your collection? Because you 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 have got a lot of stuff. Uh, right, right now I'm 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 buying little cheap things just in the background. UK sort of vintage UK published sort of print things that I kind of have had versions of over over time, but I've actually dug it out and gone. Oh, actually, that's the American version. It'd be nice to have the English one, and I'm missing a few poster mags and things like that. And it's sort of like. You know, if I'm bored on a Sunday night or whatever, and it's all right, it's only a fiver, it's only a tenner, it's only 15 quid. That that kind of low level, you know, nice to get things through the post the following week kind of drips. And then, and then what will happen is I'll go and, <laughs> go and spunk a load of money on a sand crawl or a celebration, and I have to stop for a few months while I recalibrate. Yeah, but it was nice, wasn't it? It was very nice. <laughs> I can remember uh, bumping into you the day you bought that. Um, <laughs> and Mark, and now I interviewed you probably three years ago. And you were quite um, you were quite structured at that point, but I think you've expanded a bit since then because you went down the resale kind of market, didn't you? I, I did quite quite seriously uh, to the point now where I only need less than less than oh, maybe maybe five or six cards to complete a Palatoy debut run, and that goes from the twelve backs right through to the forty five A's. Again, it, it kind of boils down to UK stuff, Palatoy. Uh, I can't afford mocks, so the resale route was really the only sort of uh, way I could go. And to be fair, everybody that's seen my run, once they're cased up in some uh, GW acrylic, it looks it looks really good. It looks really fantastic. 
But I think going back to why I collect, I've always collected. Even when Star Wars wasn't in favour going into the sort of mid to late 80s, I was still buying figures right up until about 19, sort of 87, 88. And then I had a couple of years off. And then um, for whatever reason, I think I think I might have been walking past a shop and they were selling Star Wars figures for 50p. These were still on the cards. So I went in and bought a couple, went back a week later, bought a couple more. And before I knew it, I had, a, I had about 60 or 70 mocks in a box in my bedroom. And a mate of mine said, what the hell are you buying these for? And he said, God, they're really cool. <laughs> and that started him off. And I, I don't know, it's just, it's, I, I think you're either a collector or you're not. I, don't, I, I think there's very little grey area when you collect. Uh, it's something that is inherent. Uh, it's, it's like a, an itch you have to scratch, whether that be Star Wars or, for me, it's BMX or, um, you know, other films. Uh, you know, I really like other films, other science fiction films. So, yeah, it's, it, uh, to me, it's something that I have to do. It's partly nostalgia, but it's also um, aesthetics. I like to put on a display. I like to look at the things. I like to have the things on display. If something is in a box and it's tucked away, I haven't got room to display it, then I either sell it or I trade it. It's, you know, I have to see the things. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a mix. There's a, it's like a sort of melting pot of different elements of why you collect. I was going to ask you that because you are obviously, you're a trader and you've traded going right back into the 90s, haven't you? Now, does that make it easier for you to move stuff on? Do you move your collection on? Do you have a, Absolutely. a collection of stuff and then that gets sold off and you collect something else? Mm-hmm. So, I, my, I, I would describe my collection as quite fluid. If I get bored of one thing, I move it on and buy something else. The reason why I trade, this one of the main reasons why I trade, in fact, the main reason why I trade, is it enables me to buy things for my collection that I wouldn't normally be able to buy. You know, having paying bills and whatever, um, it's, it's difficult for me to be able to justify spending X amount on, you know, a reseal or a Palatoy item or, or whatever. Whereas if I trade, I can justify it by saying, right, well, I bought this and I've managed to sell it for that. That means I can buy that for my collection. So, in, in you know, I'm a collector for it first and foremost. And I think this is absolutely critical for me to get across. I'm a collector first and foremost and a trader as a result of being a collector. I think there's quite a few people who would describe themselves as traders rather than collectors. And it's solely a money, it's solely a financial thing. And don't get me wrong, that is a, a nice element to it. But for me, it's it's, it's collecting. Interesting, because it, it's, it's a bit of a different situation to, to the likes of Jez, who's sitting there and sometimes gets swamped down in what he's looking at, where yours is constantly moving. So perhaps it's a, a different relationship. Because I know, Jez, you, you were obviously a Luke X-Wing focus collector. Mm. And I'm aware that about a year ago or so, you decided to sell some of that on to get to different items. So mm. it, it's may, maybe, you know, being a focus collector of one character isn't always the, the most ideal situation if you're well, having those fours. Yeah, it was a weird one because I had a non-focus focus when I first started collecting because I loved the variety of the card backs. And then I think, you know, earlier on I said it's important just to collect for you. Uh, and, and that's first and foremost. So I think being a focus collector became quite popular. There was a lot of people who were doing it. And I was like, right, OK, well, 
natural progression is I need to be a focus collector. And I decided on Luke X-Wing because to me it was a massively iconic character. Let's face it, X-Wing in Star Wars. He was in uh, his X-Wing in the sort of more Arctic type jumpsuit, but still sort of X-Wing um, orange flight suit as you'd know in Empire and also in Jedi. So to me, it represented the trilogy beautifully. And he was the hero of mine, you know, Generation Skywalker. So I, I followed it along and I, and I loved it. Got to a stage where financially I wasn't in a position where I could buy anything. You know, the, the hobby was getting really, really expensive and I had to put my family first. So, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't enjoy purchasing Star Wars stuff anymore. And I realized that I had a lot of orange in my collection and it wasn't as aesthetically pleasing for me. So I decided to let some of that orange go, which would then free up some funds for me to once again enjoy the buzz of being with you guys being at the conventions and actually purchasing some new carded figures so it didn't actually cost me anything and uh yes i did some trades that weekend but i most certainly wouldn't put myself down as a trader i put myself down as someone who refocused his collection and went back to having a non-focus focus now i know i know someone was missing at the start of the show but he has actually just popped up on our skype and i know that uh now sorry i've known you a few years now and you put together some beautiful runs, but you quite often sell sell those runs on. You kind of dip big in and out of it, don't you? I sell stuff as I find it necessary. So we're all, you know, family guys, jobs, bills, kids, etc., etc. And Star Wars toys are just that. They're toys. They're a bit selfish. They're a bit self-indulgent. And when needs must, they're the first things to go. I don't have any of my chartered toys left. They would never be for sale if I did. I sold those at car boot in about 1986. Uh, so the 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 mocks that I buy and sometimes move on are just those that have been through other people's hands. So in that respect, they don't hold any real. Uh, well, most of them don't hold any real personal sort of feeling of ownership. So yeah, occasionally I move them on, but I've I've done quite well. I've I've this run that I put together after. After the last big sell-off, which is when was that, Stu? Was that Echo about two, not three years ago? Yeah, that would have been the first Echo we did together. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, third Echo. So yeah, I've, uh, I've I've had my current mock run for about three years, so I'm doing well. So generally speaking, well, we've all just discussed why we collect, but it was it was Jez's question, Jez. What 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 did you answer yourself when you were sitting there looking at your stuff, going, "Why the hell do I collect this?" <laughs> Because it still gives me great satisfaction. It, it really, really does. I, I moved something in my sort of outhouse, summer house, some may call it a shed, uh, my summer house where I've got my stuff. And my um, my Imperial shuttle wing fell down. Then that toppled over. Then the B wing, which was up, fell down onto the Slave One. And I was like, no! It was like my whole world just fell apart for a moment <laughs> because I was I saw this domino effect of my shit. And and as soon as I realised that there was no permanent damage, my sort of my inner calm was restored. But yeah, I just still love it. It's been ages for me since I bought something. But oh. My most re- recent addition to my vintage collection is finding Wicket, or in fact, my mum and dad's builders. They're just having a small little bit of work done in their house, and a builder found a Wicket. And uh, when I went to visit my folks a couple of weeks ago, it was waiting for me on the mantelpiece 
And my mum knew that I would be so excited and so delighted when I was reunited with my childhood wicket. You know, I'm nearly 45. And um, believe it or not, before you put in the cheap gags, um, and to be reunited with one of my favourite childhood figures was just brilliant. And I, I don't know if you remember, I had to straight away message you guys because I knew that you knew how important that would be to me. Love it. I don't think I've ever heard the word wicket in so many times in one sentence, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right, actually. I had, um, I sometimes think, oh, what am I doing? And then, like, at the weekend, I thought, I'll get dust my cabinets. So I took everything out. But as soon as you get it in hand, it just brings that, that passion back. And I just, um, yeah, I've only got a small collection compared to some of you boys. But, but there's something about uh, just handling it, which makes it better. Now, someone's already touched on here that um, Facebook and the buying up and people do it too fast. And there's definitely, since the Facebook generation came along, there's there's definitely a, a core people that, that buy because to impress rather than, buying to um for what they want so where do you think that leaves the hobby where do you think it leaves vintage collection in the future it's going to leave it or it has left it in a far more stable place as mark said you know we've seen the the rise and fall of the uh the boom time collector collector hoarder comes in buys everything disappears again and sells it all off and now what you're left with are people who have you know on the whole a lot of them have been collecting since the force awakens came back out so they've been around now five years or so so you've got you you've got the collector that's more in it for the the long term the market settled down there's not drafts of new collectors coming in there's not rashes of the older collector leaving so it's a far more stable settled market the prices have definitely dipped slightly haven't they oh they've not without not back a doubt. to pre-force awakens prices no, 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 no. But they, they, they are very much sort of halfway up the scale, I'd say, in terms of, of where they went. They're, they're a long way off their peaks. Anyone got any predictions of where, where we think it's going to end up? Size has uh, gone with a very stable future. I've seen kids on Facebook, like, and whether that's sort of, you know, uh, mums and dads parading their children on, online going, look, they're enjoying it too. I mean, I always think that, you know, there are there are collectors of, of, of kind of my generation who go nuts for, you know, pie crust eye Mickey Mouse figurines. That That's not a nostalgia thing. That's a kind of cultural, pop cultural uh, heritage thing. So, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of talk about whether, you know, collecting will die with our kind of generation. It will certainly reduce, but I don't think it will die. Looking at the online world the social media world in particular it's just a microcosm of humanity you get the show offs you get the kind of shy people who lurk and occasionally ask a question very politely because they 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 hold the experts in 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 much esteem and and you see that sort of playing out every day and then of course you see the, the dickheads you know causing fights and things but that's just humans interacting in, in in a small space what about you mark you um you trade we've we've had this this boom section but has it slowed up as a trader? What about when you go to places like the NEC where it's not just Star Wars? Does Star Wars still outsell other toy lines? Absolutely, yeah, by um, a country mile. Uh, that's what people want, uh, in my experience anyway. Some, I'm sure other traders will tell you otherwise. And I think I, I've got to a point now where people come to me because they know I will have uh, almost solely Star Wars stuff. I have tried other lines, He-Man and Ghostbusters and Transformers and, and stuff, and that. I've never really had the same sort of passion for it. So I, I found it a, a tricky thing to sell for me anyway. Yeah, Star Wars, certain things have started to slow down. Uh, I will grant you that. 
but still rare pieces are still changing hands for decent money. Uh, people still want those figures. The last Echo Live that I did, I was constantly topping up uh, the loose figure tray that I had. Uh, loose complete figures they just seemed to sell like hotcakes it was weird and yet the previous one i barely sold a single one it was very very strange it seems to sort of come in peaks and troughs but yeah star wars is still it's still strong not quite as strong as it was sort of uh three or four years ago that's for sure but yeah there's still a there's still a strong following for it jez where, where do you see the future of star wars film from your point of view it's very interesting from from a certain point of view so cheesy I just love the opportunity for a sound drop anytime, you know that, you know, very much like what the guys are saying. I, I, I see it going off on two different paths, though, because we'll get to the stage where people are content that they've collected from a childhood point of view. So I, I think um, regular loose figures or weapons, I think, will sort of peak and, and not rise anymore or certainly start to decline. I think they will always also in, within society be the people the showboaters and stuff who go off and do the stuff on on hakes and, and the other auction houses where you do things just go up and up and up yeah occasionally we'll see some bargains you know you look at it and you compare it to say you know action men or, or dinky cars and stuff where they are that older generation so there now isn't the drive isn't the desire but star wars should also not be compared to those things because it was such a globally phenomenally successful market that there are so many more people you know we think about it as a generation i said earlier on about you know those who grew up in the 70s and 80s were generation skywalker but i was actually incorrect i was wrong because thinking about it you know we all met the guy um george and his girlfriend oh what's her name they go to the father's rooms they've been to celebration uh, and we see them out and about and his name was George, I think it might be Lucy. They they're like mid twenties, maybe maybe just under mid twenties. But he's a guy who just collects vintage figures uh, and vintage ships and stuff. And I think it, we were in Chicago, and he was saying, "Oh yeah, I've just finally found this Rebel Transporter in this in this particular box which he was after," and he was so excited about it. You know, this is a guy who was born in the nineties, and so so I was wrong when I said Generation Skywalker is for those in the seventies and eighties. Not at all. So what do I mean by that is I, I think people are always going to want vintage. be interesting to see over the coming years. Now, something that's been quite quite noticeable tonight is that um, really, if we all had to give one reason why we collect, I think nostalgia would be the main reason. Would anyone disagree with that? I think it's very layered for me. I think there's lots of reasons. I think nostalgia is a big one, but I think there are other, there are other factors. You know. Okay. Today, I think at one point in my in my life, yeah, it was, it was nostalgia. But 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 now it's it's all tied in with you know, as Mark said, the aesthetics, that that side of things, the design side of things, but also the social side of things. You know, if, I remember a time when you didn't really talk about this stuff. You know, I was as as Mark kind of said as well. You know, in in, in those kind of dark in those dark years, it wasn't something you you broadcasted. It was a really geeky thing to do, and I remember working uh, sort of my second big job and no one knew I, was, I collected Star Wars things it just not, wasn't something that you, you talked about and I remember somebody had been into town 
uh, and they'd seen in Oxfam, they'd got a load of uh, vintage with some boxes. And um, I thought, well, I'll go have a look around, go have a look. So I left my, my post, went round, just around the corner from where I worked. Uh, and sure enough, there was lots of the usual Oxfam. They'd been on, you know, collector's guides, eBay, what have you, and um, and overpriced it. But there was a there was a Darth Vader's TIE Fighter Palatoy box that they folded flat and put at the back of the display. And they said, um, they said, I said, okay. Can I, can I just buy the box? And well, the old lady behind the tells oh, it goes with the, the, the ships. And I says, no, it doesn't. And I, and I walked her through it. That goes with that one. That goes with that one. So that's just a box on its own. So could, would, would you let me buy it? I said, yeah, two pound, okay? So I went, yeah, okay. And I had no change on me whatsoever. And I ran around um, back to work. My boss was having a fag outside with the, uh, the company director. And I said, can you lend me two quid? And I was all flustered. I said, what do you want two quid for? And, and I kind of had to explain that this... <laughs> I was going to buy this empty box from Oxfam and I needed two quid urgently before someone else got it. And I remember it felt like coming out <laughs> as a geek. Um, and they were just most amused by this, you know, and then they started asking lots of questions. So um, I'm, I'm waffling now. What was the point? I don't know, but I enjoyed the story. Sounds a guy, mate. You know, it, was, it wasn't about back then. It wasn't about kudos. It wasn't about, look at me, I just got this Darth Vader's TIE Fighter box for two pounds. Didn't tell anyone. Other than them, you know, because I wasn't there wasn't that circle of friends certainly in, in, in my life. Uh, I I would I would completely agree with you and re, and just uh, I have a, a very very similar experience. It wasn't something you told people. <laughs> it it was done in secret almost, unless you met somebody at a toy fair or some you know uh, you found out somebody liked Star Wars. You could almost. Oh, you like Star Wars as well. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't something that you were broadcast at all. But but now it is a social thing. It is a there is a there is a there is a, a culture of showing off what you what you've collected and some of those big collections in the states that you see every day on Facebook are just mind blowing, mind blowing. And that's there's a, there's a sort of hierarchy and a and a pecking order and a, and a culture that that, that kind of goes along with that. But that wasn't always there. I'm sure we'll we'll return to all sorts of these kind of topics over the coming months. But um, yeah, interested. There is a great disturbance in the force. We have a new enemy, the young rebel who destroyed the Death Star. I have no doubt this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. Topic two. Now I don't know if you boys saw this over on the imperial commissary but there's often so many arguments and so much bitching going on on social media and whatnot amongst toy collectors there was a little a little concept went on on imperial commissary and so many people so many groups got involved in it and it was wonderful to see now jez gonna come over to you can you explain to us what the concept was and what what went took place on imperial commissary quite simply let's recreate star wars card art so uh yeah, funnier the better, really. But you, you got your classic card art, which we'll all be familiar with, the uh, three and three quarter inch line carded figures, and uh, go nuts, guys! Impress us, and uh, let let's see that. You know, let, <laughs> let let let's see what you can do. Quite straightforward as that. The winners were based on so the photos were all put on the Imperial Commissary, the ones with the most yeah. likes. Okay, first, second, and third. Could you just go through the winners? Yes, buddy. Right. So I'm uh, I'm so glad we're looking at this because. I know this is a podcast and people listen to it, but I really encourage people to check this out, as you say. So it's on the uh, Imperial Commissary Facebook group. But we'll we'll put these images on our social media if we can, because um, these are funny. First place put on by a, guy, uh, a chap called Rob uh, Lipparelli, 
and it's the classic Luke Lear pose, as you can imagine. Luke there with his shirt all open, looking very heroic in the, the sort of Lear down there, looking very sort of meek, holding on to his leg, and he's got his sword aloft with, you know, the thunderbolts coming out of the sword. You know, that's that classic image which we know. So Rob has recreated that. It's the attention to detail is great. Uh, but I want to cover what he says first, because uh, on, on the photograph it just says, the missus has got the hump and lost interest, so it's just me. And uh, he goes on to say, apart from a few belly hairs and being the brown-haired version of Luke, um, I look as good as I did 40 years ago. This guy is not afraid to take the mick out of himself. He's there, and, um, yeah, he's just uh, slightly, slightly more um, sort of middle-aged spread than our classic hero Luke would have. He's got a lampshade, which he's holding above his head, <laughs> coupled what well, coupled is it's got three umbrellas with it to show the thunderbolts coming out so it's a really really great look um he's got his open shirt with the flared cuffs or sleeves he, rather than luke's white trousers he's got some sort of white leggings long johns which are wrinkled at the lower end very much like nora Mat nora batty for those people who watched last of the summer wine it's the star position so post-production he's added some stars like you would actually get on the carded figure i love it the guys put so much effort into it and uh that, that's great so that was the first place second place was quite simply uh eric mozalik did the rancor keeper so again um head cover um, so he's there, Rancor Keeper, not the most flattering of pictures, but this is the key theme throughout this. You've got all these chaps, mainly chaps on, on the on the Facebook groups, and uh, none of them being a bit too sort of prim and proper about it. They're all just quite happy to go with the flow and, and show themselves in, in all their glory. So he's there as the Rancor Keeper with uh, bare chested and some sort of hand tool and his uh, lovely black socks. So, yeah, great one, just taking a mick out of himself. And third place, Stephen Hopwood. Now, Stephen put on lots of these. He really got into it. Uh, this is my, I think, my standout favourite of all of them, which is uh, the knee numb. So he's got, you know, I'll just start to talk about it. He's got a black skull cap to sort of help with the uh, top of knee numb's head. He's got a red shirt and he's got some sort of black waistcoat or jacket. But what's nailed it is he's got two tortillas, uh, tortilla flats with a hole in each one for the eyes i'm not doing it justice at all but it's uh it's it's hilarious as soon as i saw that i was laughing out loud and uh for me yeah all all of them fair play lads not met any of those guys but having seen those three i that's just brilliant i love seeing stuff like that it was brilliant and it went on for a few days just different people just putting them up and some of them were exceptional you know people try to do all sorts you had fx7s and all sorts being being added to now mark and craig did you have a look through the list did you see anyone else that that stood out to you that you loved i just want to just go back to something you said right from the, the start was it was just lovely to see something positive and something creative happening between the facebook groups instead of a, a lot of the negativity which tends to really overtake some of the groups during the face during the day you know a lot of drama on on the internet and it, it really is pretty depressing but this i have to say what a cracking idea 
And it was, re- to me, the crapper ones were the funniest ones. And my personal favourite was the same as Jez's, the guy who did me and Norm. I thought that was brilliant. I think he had the, the, the look on his face was just perfect. You know, it was, it was a, that, that was the best one for me. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd echo what, um, what what Mark's just said. You know, I, I think the spirit of this was just brilliant, and and they all tickled me in one way or another. You know, the the inventiveness and the sort of yeah, the the, the just the spirit. It was just just fun, you know. And I do have a, some experience of people who take cosplay very seriously, and this was the antithesis. It was just for the pure joy of it and for the pure love of Star Wars and collecting. It was it was great. The standouts for me, I really liked Carlos Beltran. And his uh, IG-88 with his little spindly legs. It's, <laughs> that just amused me. Uh, but I think my favourite was the guy, uh, Mark Catley, who had recreated, presumably with one of his cards, um, a Return of the Jedi card, uh, with Vader, where the free coin uh, promotion sticker was stuck over his face. And he obviously <laughs> printed out a massive one and stuck it over his face. Um, and there's a photograph of him pointing uh, Vader style with these stickers where his head should be well that's you know just the lateral thinking of that elevated it for me you're right that was brilliant some of the effort you know even like um the attack commander with the attacks do you see the bloke that was just on all fours in a gray yeah. outfit in the um in the snow with just like some red laser coming out of his mouth it was just like <laughs> yeah it really did uh capture the imagination it was brilliant and um well well done to uh everyone involved because it's it was great to see right now actually before we move on what would you have come up with as an idea? I, I did look through them, and I think I know we mentioned him earlier, but the hand hand in the trench coat looks like it's he's just in his dressing gown having a scratch in the morning. And for me personally, that would, it wouldn't have been much of a stretch to have achieved that look. <laughs> I think um, if you you could have had fun with some cling film and gone for hand carbonite, I think that could have been a good fun one to do. <laughs> There's been a lot of cling film, isn't it? It was, but you know, you got I think I, I think, think I would have gone for FX7 and uh, stuck a pin on my head and uh, got the missus to take me outside at night and photograph me against a sort of starfield background. You're a bit obsessed with FX7 tonight, <laughs> aren't you? I am. <laughs> bit of a fetish, I think. Right. So that's, let's another, that's a discussion for another time, <laughs> Mr. Skinner. It is, I think. It is. I think you're just wondering about all the hands. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows it? Right, boys. Now, topic three was uh, Christopher O'Reilly, who made a post on Best Bin Prime about some uh, some beta cards that he loved. Now, there were six cards. Um, I think they were all Return of the Jedi, but they had a, a yellow tape over it, which had special value on it. Now, I've not seen that before. I just read the thing. I just thought, oh, he's just picked up some cards from somewhere. But it came to light that these were... People were a little bit what's the word i'm looking for a little bit vague about it but some sort of promotion i looked at it and i looked around and i found other things but so i set out for you lot what you could find about this promotion now did anyone find well let's let's start with um let's start with mark because i gave simon a question and i I know you're going to take his question on here because i'd never heard of circus world never heard it mentioned but when I started looking into it, it's clearly quite a big place in the States. Um, could you give us an overview of the stores, what their general kind of sales were like, what they sold um, and what happened to that company? Um, yeah, Circus World, toy store. It was founded in 1964. So it's quite an old company, uh, quite an established company. And it was originally called Child's World, which is uh, not exactly uh, 
sort of brand friendly, I guess. But so um, it was renamed Circus World in 1970. It was just a US shop. It didn't sort of travel across the pond or anywhere else. So it was just a US store. And it was bought out in uh, 1982 by a a subsidiary of Walgreens. Uh, Throughout the 80s, sort of business dropped off and it started to make a bit of a loss. Uh, And then it was eventually bought by uh, KB in the 1990s. And it was changed its name to Circus World, and that lasted only till 1996. KB uh, eventually went sort of belly up in 2009 themselves. So, um, yeah, it's you know it's one of those uh, sad high street tales of a an old company eventually sort of succumbing to market forces and, and closing. But it's not one that I'd ever sort of come across before. No, I'd never heard of it. Now, when I started like um, delving into it, a lot of people were saying that Circus World popped up time and time and time again as a company in relation to this yellow tape. And KEB, like you just said, had a purchase Circus World then. And the other one that kept coming up was Models Chains. Now, it did turn out that these were actually taped or found taped to the 3PO and Vader carry cases two figures at a time taped to the um to these cases as a exclusive did you find anything on these combinations uh, mark because also i read that some of these figures were also taped to mini rigs i'll be honest with you mate no i haven't i did do a search online and i couldn't find anything uh i don't know if anybody else has seen these before it's certainly not something i've ever come across i mean i'm not a I'm not actively looking for this kind of thing. So you'll have to forgive me for certainly not having any information on it from memory. But even a, an internet search didn't really throw a great deal up. So uh, in, on that side of things, no, I, I couldn't really find anything, mate. I did find two or three images of the, the 3PO carry case with them taped to him. And the more I read about them, it did appear that it was mainly the power of the Force figures stuck to this um, these cases. So I'm going to come come to you, Craig. That would suggest that it was quite late in the line, this promotion. Yeah. The only dates I, I found was just, a, uh, you know, in reference to um, uh, the guy who was showcasing it, that they were bought between sort of 85 and 87. So, uh, you know, that, that indicates it's 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 right at the end of the run and they're just trying to get rid of this stuff. Trying to shift the stock, yeah. Yeah, because I did, on the SWCA, there is a, a piece from Steve Hoffman on there who talks about them, and he was saying they were being retailed at the time for $3.99. Well, that's a bit of a bargain for two carded figures and a, and a carry case, isn't it? Jez, I know that you did find quite a bit about these, though. Uh, <laughs> You're such a <laughs> We wanted you to find out if the tape came from Kenner, if the tape was sent from Kenner, because it appeared more than one store had them. I'm going to say the tape got sent as a roll. Uh, these didn't come ready-made. <laughs> you didn't, you come... didn't research that, mate. Yeah. Just... <laughs> That's a well, good I'll guess. tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because uh, Hercule Poirot here is looking at this and saying, well, yeah, a lot of them are power of the force, so towards the end of the line. But the ones which we've seen, there's a great one here with the 3PO, and it's got a Return of a Jedi squid head and a power of the force uh, ATST driver. Now, both of them, you could say, yeah, look like there's a considerable amount of shelfware, which is shelfware which may not have been there. It's happened before they've been attached to this uh, carry case because the carry case would have shielded it from some of the shelfware. And also the big giveaway is these individual carded figures have got price tags on them, which have then been crossed out with another 
price tag applied to them and then another price tag removed. There is evidence here of some of these carded figures having been tried to be sell, sold for quite a while. So this to me looks like very clear case of in-house made in the store. So it's a case of, right, well, this may not have been just a Kenner thing or some stores which all came under the same... I don't know if some of these stores came under uh, a sort of umbrella company. You know, often you you find back in the day we had this in the UK that you'd find certain chains were under one larger group. So it could be that that tape was part of that group's tape. It, these were definitely not put on in the factory. This was a case of in stores just saying, right, we need to uh, clear our stocks of these. And, uh, and this, yeah, to me, it's a case of... This is along the whole eight pack in a Woolies bin. Let's just get them out because these things are now bombing and we've got other things to sell. Yeah. Did anyone find anything else out about these? Because um, I just found there was loads of dead ends and lots of kind of guesswork from people that come. Yeah, you Google Star Wars special value tape and all you see are video cassettes, (laughs) Betamax cassettes and DVDs and stuff. And then you type cello tape. And then you just get the C-3PO Sigma tape dispenser. And then you try something else and it's just, it's quite difficult. This is quite a niche thing. And it'd be great to hear from some people who do know a lot more than us. That That's very true. That's one one of the reasons I wanted to cover it this month, because it is an area. I'd never heard of Circus World before that thread that Chris had put up. And even, even them taped to, I, I Googled it on all the forums. Vinny on Star Wars Forum UK, Vin 3PO, the 3PO uh, collector. He's got an example it's talked very, very briefly in there, but limited information. Uh, there's a bit of a discussion on Rebel Scum, but again, but limited. So I would love to hear from anyone who's got any information on these, because it would be great to follow this up with some actual, um, with actual proper info that we haven't been able to find, because it is a bit of a bit of an empty, bit of a gap in the knowledge here, and I, I think on on Circus World. Stu, there is a lead. But there's a lead which I couldn't follow up because when I was looking through it, I, I don't know where I found this, but there was something written. It could have been on Facebook or it could have been on one of the forums. It says, in addition, these sets were featured as part of an article by Paul Lasso in the September 95 issue of White's Action Figure Guide. No hyperlink, nothing there. So we need to get hold of the September 95 issue of White's Action Figure Guide. And there is an article written by a gentleman called Paul Lazo. September 95 issue. I mean, does that mean it's a monthly issue? I, I don't know. But yeah, Paul Lazo. And uh, go nuts, mate, because uh, that chap wrote an article. So Jez will give us more information on that next month um, <laughs> as he as he delves down that little rabbit warren. But uh, more questions and answers, really, on that. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Right, now, moving on to topic four. It's like a bit uh, bit quirky and a bit niche. Chinese bootleg comics. Now, if you're friends with Craig Spivey or you follow him on Instagram, over the course of December, he treated us to an incredible image every day of December, like a bit like an advent calendar. Now, Craig, I'm going to let you run with this because quite an interesting topic, and you're bang on it. Bang on it. Okay, what are we looking at? We're looking at, primarily, we're looking at Chinese unlicensed uh, Lian Huanawa comic books. Can we all say that? Liana Wanawa. Liana Hawanawa. Liana Wanawa. You wanna wanga? That's yeah, it. That's it. <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough. <laughs> so it's L-I-A-N-H-U-A-N-H-U-A. And these are unique to China. They're almost 
postcard sized. So they're about sort of five inches by three and a half inches. Um, they have color covers, black and white pages. But unlike sort of comic books as we know them, they tend to be like one illustration per page with text underneath. So they're sequential panels, if you like, but it's more like a little sequential picture book. And it's something that I've I started picking up uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I, I read about them online uh, and it just piqued my interest. And initially it was all the uh, the weirdness that appealed. But, you know, as I got into them, there's a real kind of charm to the art style. And the circumstances of how they came to exist is just a fascinating uh, story. So as it stands in the Western world, there are only kind of 14 known uh, comic adaptations for the original Star Wars trilogy. And, and to be fair, two of those don't really fit the format. So they're a, they're a bit of a stretch, but one of them is Return of the Jedi. So we'll count it as a collectible. They're relatively affordable, about 20 pounds a copy I've been playing, paying. So for something unusual and quirky as this, I don't think that's too bad. But I'm flying blind with it. There's not a lot of information out there. There's a, there's a few people who've collated a bit of information, um, but I can't read Chinese. So it's, you know, it feels like the frontier of collecting uh, for me in a world of, you know, palatoy matrices and uh, areas of collecting that have been documented to the most finite detail. This is kind of strange and alien and uncharted, and I love it. They're a recent-ish discovery for, for people and collectors in the Western world. Um, it wasn't until around May 2014 that, uh, that this stuff came to light. Uh, and it came to light because there was an American uh, history professor who had a passion for Chinese comics, uh, a lady by the name of Maggie Green, who worked at Montana State University. And she was out in Shanghai and she visited a book fair. And that's where she discovered sort of the first of these uh, Lian Hwanawa uh, to come to life, which had the name Zinqui Da Zan, which I like because it's almost got the word X-Wing in and it's got Zan in, obviously a great EU writer. But at first glance, you could be forgiven uh, for not realising that this little comic had anything to do with Star Wars because, you know, it only bear, bears a passing resemblance to, uh, to any of the characters. But she took this thing home and she blogged about it and the likes of io9 and gizmodo mental floss kind of all delighted in its weirdness uh and and re-blogged it so in 2004 it kind of blew up and there were lots of sort of blogs written about this thing and and that's where it sort of sort of first came to light really that first one that she discovered was uh dated in uh, 1980 and obviously the height of the cold war the chinese wouldn't have had any access to any official styles films or material uh, and presumably not much leaked out of the factories from hong kong and macau which at the time were UK and Portuguese territories. So that flow of information clearly wasn't there, but there was an appetite to get in on the Star Wars action. So it was actually four decades before Chinese cinemas or Chinese people could actually see uh, the classic trilogy in cinemas for the first time. Uh, but back in the 80s and the late 70s, there's clearly lack of source material. So it's understandable that some of the scenes and the characters' de designs vary massively from what we know. I think it's worth just doing a very, very little bit of history into uh, Liana Wanawa, uh, because um, I didn't know any of this, and I'm sure there's a fair proportion of our listeners uh, won't know it either. Um, but the name essentially means uh, linked pictures or serial pictures. Uh, and these things date back to the 1800s, where they have their links with sort of Chinese magazines. There was a large kind of audience of kind of middle and lower class readers that they would bind these stories into separate volumes um, and that just grew with the rise of sort of the lithographic printing that came from the west so by the 1920s there were quite a few of these around but they tended to focus on things like chinese mythology or folklore 
and they were targeted at sort of kids and uh, marginally literate readers. And rather than buy them, people would rent them. So you could rent these little comic books um, from kiosks uh, around the 1920s. So they were part of the cultural landscape, I think, of, uh, of China. So by the 70s, they'd kind of disappeared um, from Hong Kong, which would have been our link to behind the bamboo curtain. It sort of decreased a little bit during the Cultural Revolution, but they were still used for propaganda and education. So the, the format of these little pocket comics kept going and they made a comeback in the late 70s uh, and the, uh, the 80s um, when they started to adapt films and TV shows from the Western world. And when you look at what was produced and what's out there, it's a really eclectic mix. You've got things like Tarzan, Charlie Chaplin, comics, Sherlock Holmes, Zorro, which for sort of the late 70s to have a Charlie Chaplin comic seems a bit sort of strange to me. But this continued and obviously it, it sort of grew to, to, to take in uh, uh, Star Wars, but it's since kind of died off. Um, so a lot of these things are kind of vintage specifically to that era. So since this first Liana Wanawa book was, uh, was, was found by uh, Maggie Green, a few have appeared on the uh, on the market and to date there have been six different uh, adaptations of a new hope four different adaptations of the M empire strikes back uh, there's one of return of the jedi and then there are three editions of kind of reworked continuing adventures really but the oldest and the first one is is, is this one that, uh, that that maggie found and it's arguably the weirdest and it's where i drew a lot of the uh, the images i shared on on instagram and on the beyond the toys group uh, in December. So what we're looking at is these these comics that, you know, the writers knew the story of Star Wars, but the artists didn't necessarily have all the visual reference uh, to hand. So there's some real strange uh, mashups of imagery. And because we all know Star Wars so well and we're all so familiar with it, some of it is 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 just comical. Just to list a few of the uh, of the random images that, that, that appeared in this first one, you've got the Rebel base, labelled as the Kennedy Space Centre on Darth Vader's map of the galaxy. Chewbacca is very much like a monkey from Planet of the Apes. Spaceships resemble Cold War 1950s aircraft. There's a, there's a, a panel with Darth Vader uh, riding uh, a Triceratops dinosaur. Uh, Obi-Wan's uh, riding into battle with his lightsaber aloft on, a, on what like, looks like a Judge Dredd motorbike. Ben's hovel features uh, a stack of whiskey barrels with J&B written on them. The last homestead is uh, it's like a Frank Lloyd Wright style house. Amberu's kitchen's kind of got cheese plants in it and looks like a, a, a something from 70s uh, habitat catalogue. And there's just lots and lots of that stuff where the artists have had to just fill in the gaps really in their knowledge and taken whatever sources that they can find from Western culture and just appropriate it into these Star Wars stories. And it makes for such a curious document. So that first issue, if, you, if you're of a mind to, uh, it was translated by a chap called Nick Stember. And you can visit nickstember.com and, uh, uh, and you, can, you can read the actual translation of, of the Chinese and, and see those images. So out, out of the images that, that I put out there, and obviously, you know, I limited myself to 25 because that's, that's what advent calendars do. Um, and I also made sure that they had some, some Star Wars reference in them because some of the some of the panels are so obscure that people probably wouldn't have made that connection. So I did, did deliberately try and show stuff that, that was relatable. Does anything stand out to anyone? Uh, absolutely. There's three that I absolutely love. And at the time, I thought, just just great. I think uh, the first one is uh, Princess Leia in Bespin gear with her Jevs out. 
I thought that was, <laughs> I was just looking at that one. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, just just great. Second one is seeing Boba Fett blow the crap out of two one B as he's storming out of uh, Slave One. I thought that was great. I mean, poor two one B just you know stood there minding his own business and Boba Fett just blasting through and and and, and shooting the crap out of him. And then the, the one that really sticks out for me is the one where I, I presume it's Han Solo and Lando Calrissian hugging. And it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger is grappling Eddie Murphy. And <laughs> Arnie looks really happy, but Eddie Murphy looks really, really upset about something. And uh, what a cracking image. I don't know I, I don't know what the artist was on. I mean, they, they, they're on some serious opium stuff over there. But, yeah, it's just, just cracking images, really sort of far out. <laughs> Drugged up imagery, brilliant. I love it. I think what's what's apparent with those with the Boba Fett and the uh, and the two one B is that if you look through that particular issue, and that's that's the one we've just been talking about, the Imperial stormtroopers are dressed as Boba Fett, which is kind of poetic, and given what we know about the prequels now, you know, and, and the origins of that armor, and the two one B characters are kind of Imperial officers that littered around the place at control centers and and. and pushing buttons and things so you know so the artist has seen those characters and gone oh they must be those they must work they must work on the death star or, or I, I, the space center i think for <laughs> me the thing that st- the thing that really stands out to me is that the, the chinese it couldn't have had the grasp of star wars that we have they couldn't have understood it in the same way that we understood it they, they 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 will have interpreted it in a different way they must have done obviously because of the the imagery that that, that we're seeing and uh, the stuff that they created uh, is is so far removed from what we know as star wars it, i mean it was um, it must have been a fascinating process to watch these artists translate and then communicate to their audience, which is a different audience again, that the story of Star Wars incredible, really. I mean, they, they vary. Some some are quite close, but have sort of noticeable differences, and others are just out there. I love Greedo in the the drink with Han. It's that if you couldn't tell that was Han, you'd wonder what the hell was going on in that picture, wouldn't you? Because yeah, with all size, yeah, it's got like a Chinese lantern on his head, doesn't it, or something? It's an incredible photo image. It's just really really odd and also love the interrogation droid with the um the tentacles with, yeah with the tentacles coming out and leia kind of arms in the air doing some kind of like as if she's stoned arms in front of it tarkin <laughs> looks like a win or something doesn't he is a there's, there's one think... where tarkin's rendered as a sort of ming the merciless character yeah yeah he is yeah she's busy because that's a kind of you know slightly dodgy racial stereotype from the 1930s of what Western culture thought baddies were <laughs> that has gone full circle and most bizarre. But I, th- I think what you what you find with them is it is a it is a mishmash of sort of Western sci-fi imagery from a few decades. So you do get ships that look like war rocket Ajax and 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 things like that, and then you get ships that look like the 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 the, the 1970s Book Rogers. Uh, and then you get 1950s astronauts with the big, you know, goldfish bowl helmets and things. So it's a real sort of blend of, of presumed imagery, I think. Oh, well, it's sci-fi, so it, it, they probably look a bit like this. Sorry, I was just going to say, Craig, can I just ask you, just remind us what year did these come out? 
So they went between, I think the earliest is around 1980, um, and the latest, I think, is around 89 is the latest yeah, one. Because they're, they they seem to be confused, don't they? With they, They've mixed films together. They've got different yeah. characters. You're like, well, hang on a second. So you're quite clearly showing Leah there, but she's Leah. This is meant to be a, a New Hope theme, but she's got a Endor Forest haircut. Or th- this one is from A New Hope, but then Leah's looking more like Leah from Jabba's uh, palace. So, yeah, there's definitely confusion. You go back to the one Mark pointed out, which was Leah, he called uh, Cheb's Leah, I think. And uh, so that one's got more of a sort of Amidala-style haircut, some incredible foreshadowing there. But actually, if you looked really, really closely, um, I don't think what Mark thought he saw, he saw. Actually, I think, if you look at the chest, it's order 66 because they, they look like two sixes to me that's what i'm seeing there uh, but possibly not and then you I've move been, down been staring at that too long <laughs> sorry <man. laughs> you wonder why i've been quiet then you've got um there, there's one which you had put on when you did the instagram because obviously i follow you and uh it was window number 18 and you've got boba fett without his helmet and it looks like luke so it looks like luke under a boba fett with uh some sort of Princess Leia, sort of half Organa, but half um, handcuffs and leg showing from sort of Return of a Jedi. So all sorts of peculiar. But Which is, It's the, um, you know, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you scene. So if you think that they've drawn all the all the stormtroopers as Boba Fett, that's his yeah. And because she's imprisoned, she's she yeah. like a damsel in distress. It's, it's nothing yeah. like what we know. So it's confusion all around. But what what I like, yet, yeah, so I, I wrote about the Boba Fett one shooting the 2MB. I thought that was great. There's It's a very dynamic picture, not just because of the, you know, oil and hydraulic fluid and various different things coming out of 2MB, but the flowing cape of uh, the Mandalorian I loved. But I think one of my favourites was... Uh, you, you talk about sort of folklore and stuff with, you know, uh, Wookiees pulling uh, people's arms off. You know, Joy doesn't do that. But it was the, uh, the there's a picture there of, oh, it's one of the early ones, I think. I'm just scanning now through my phone. Yeah, window number two. So you've got a rather sort of rough looking Chewbacca and he's holding a lifeless stormtrooper by the neck. And it looks like he's just about to pull his leg off. And there's other stormtroopers sort of just thrown around the room. To me, that's you know that's brilliant. I love that one. Doesn't Chewbacca change drastically yeah. in the imagery? Imagery though, the picture of him with three PO laying down. Well, you've written it on your um, write up, Andre the Giant. Mm. That's exactly what he looks like. It's um, if you had said who is that, I wouldn't have guessed instantly Chewbacca. It's really odd. He suffers the worst out of all of the characters throughout all of these books. He's 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 renders sort of the most inaccurately but not not only between books there is there are some of these books where he changes halfway through you know they change artists halfway through and he's drawn like a chimp you know he looks like planet of the apes uh chewbacca so it's just full of really bizarre interpretations and and the, the circumstances around this stuff being produced with very little references it's fascinating to me and 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 the artifacts that it's produced, I think, are just charming and and rich and varied. You know, I tried to show the range of styles that these things were drawn in. So there's one of them is is very very stylized in terms of its kind of light and shade. It's quite a really bold 
art style. And then there's other ones which is quite wispy and almost psychedelic. The Obi-Wan smoking a pipe. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's just very, uh, very Jesus-like, actually, isn't he? In his... Yeah, sort of very ethereal sort of... And I think that that book comes from um, one of the rarer ones, uh, that, that the artist working on that one, there's the Empire Strikes Back version, and they've got Yoda in there, and he looks like something from the Moomins. He's got these big eyes and these little pointy ears. And so, as I've said, you know, there are, there are around 14 of these things, six versions of A New Hope, uh, four of Empire, and, and the only one, Return of the Jedi, uh, is a slightly larger format uh, comic, and it's got colour, uh, use of colour throughout the pages. It's the only one I personally don't have, but you know, what I've read online is that it's, uh, it's probably one of the, the poorer interpretations. But, I, you know, I think there must be loads of these out there. You know, and there's there's a lot more to discover. So alongside the um, uh, the adaptations of the the movies, what they also did was they they translated some of the uh, the Russ Manning cartoon strips from uh, uh, from the newspapers. So there's a set of three of those which uh, which I've come across, which contain uh, different stories from uh, those continuing adventure adventures, and they're quite faithfully reproduced uh, for the most part. As these things were developed. They clearly went to lots of different publishing houses, lots of different artists worked on them. And, yeah, the, the results are as, uh, re- reflect that, you know. They're very, very varied, um, and that's what kind of makes it interesting to me. And I think alongside those, alongside these uh, these small comic books, there's a whole breadth of similarly illustrated and presumably just as bootlegged illustrated novelizations you get sort of sci-fi stories and fantasy story uh, compendiums much like we did in the uk the marks and spencers ones where you get a collection of stories together and the tentpole is star wars and you get some crazy illustrations in there so i think what what's out there to my knowledge is the tip of the iceberg you know there's clearly an appetite for this stuff and uh yeah i'm looking forward to sort of unearthing more of it uh, superb information mate and um, Craig's already done a fantastic blog post over on www.generationskywalker.com and you will see all of these images plus a whole host more and uh, he's put in some amazing information into that blog basically running with what he said here but going in more depth and showing you a whole array of stuff um, Craig fantastic mate where did you dig up that old fossil so on to our last topic that someone had posted. It was actually a question on one of the Facebook groups going, oh, has anyone ever seen this before? And it was the Kenner unreleased Rebel Armoured Sand Speeder now near the end of the line. 85, 86, obviously, the line started to wind down. But there was a, a line extension presentation binder, which shows a whole host of different things that were due to be. They're either in the concept stage. Some of them have been kit-bashed. There's images in there. Um, some stuff was made. The Ewok Battle Wagon and those kind of things are in there. The A-Wings in there, which did eventually come out with the droids line. But we're looking at just this, the actual Rebel Armoured Sand Speeder. And this was a kit-bashed item. Now, Jez, can you describe the item of what it was going to be and how they kit-bashed it in the image? So straight away, you look at it and you think, orange snow speeder. Questions? let's move on but no there's so much more to it than that so yes you are looking at similar size taking it from the main fuselage of the snow speeder i picked up on the fact it said armored sand speeder and i was like oh right okay so what's so armored about it what makes it different but no the snow speeder itself is called an armored snow speeder i i kind of glossed over that in my star wars knowledge main colors though predominantly orange 
with some elements of black, some elements of red, and a little bit of off-white, a little bit, very much a sort of similar shade to your snow speeder. First and foremost, well, apart from the colours, I would say the weapon system has been shortened. However, it looks like the weapon arsenal itself has been doubled. So if you imagine the fuselage of the Snowspeeder, you'd have the weapons which were sort of coaxially mounted into the engines. You, you might think that they're prolonged air engine intake. But uh, the weapon system there, which extends sort of uh, further forward than the fuselage itself, which could be sort of quite easy to get caught or snagged, or maybe it's not as manoeuvrable because of these long weapons. Well, they've been shortened, uh, you know, shorn off, uh, sawn off shotgun style, and uh, and they've been put sort of um, next to what looks to be some sort of big plasma weapon system. So it it looks already slightly more aggressive system, I would say. So you've got uh, one appendage on the front, as I say, coaxially mounted to the engines, which is the red element so that could, could say in my imagination as a kid i would say yeah that's some sort of big laser photon sort of torpedo type thing and then mounted by the side of that you've got your shortened gun which is the similar shade to the snow speeder so already there you've got orange red and sort of yeah off-white then you look to the reverse and it doesn't look symmetrical. It could just be the angle. I'd love to see a different uh, view of this. But you've got two black appendages sort of sticking out the back. Now, one of those, again, could be some sort of cannon or it could just be the engine exhausts. But they don't look identical. So that's an interesting one. Then you've got fins coming up either side of the cockpit canopy itself. Now, the cockpit canopy, when you look at the transparencies, they've not changed around the sides but on top what are you losing you're losing the old harpoon and it appears that you've got some sort of hatch or molding on the top uh, but you do have these fins either side which could be providing additional armor to the cockpit itself so these fins have a, a sort of a transparency element to them so they do have some sort of window pane but you just might think oh that's providing extra extra armor so uh, all around, yeah, slightly more aggressive looking thing, but not in the movie. So I wouldn't have been as interested. There is one thing which I'd like to add, which I only sort of spotted at the end. You guys have seen this. Is there anything, and I know that it is quite significant, is there anything that I've missed so far? Got a little astromech in there. Yeah, yeah. It's great, yeah. So on, on the port side, um, just on the port engine itself, there is a little sort of moulded into it, astromech droid and uh yeah that's a great little addition it is pretty awesome and i love the fact that they um it's intended for a certain scene and we've got a little medine with it very random figure to uh choose to be designed now great description jez thank you yeah because it is a lot different to what the actual snow speeder is isn't it now mark this would have been a vehicle a bit like the troop transport a bit like the mini rigs that we never saw on screen now when you get to the power of the force line a lot of the figures are from return of the jedi there is a couple from a new hope but so late in the line, why do you think they were going to return to a ship that we never saw on screen when the line was failing? As a decision, why do you think they've gone down that, that route? I, I think it's as simple as what moulds, what tooling can they reuse relatively easily and cheaply and create a new vehicle with what they had at hand? And, um, and you know, a snow speeder, what could that be? A sand speeder. Where is uh, where would you use a sand speed at Tatooine? So that covers Star Wars and it covers Jedi. They get two bang, uh, two uh, sort of um, 
shots at the cherry, as it as it were. So in 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 that way, you can just imagine the sales meetings uh, at the table. You know what can what can we reuse and recolor and sort of repurpose cheaply and easily. And I think that was the brief given to the creative guys um, to come up with new things with what was already sort of uh, out out there. In the same way that they could have had a a land speeder, given it a white paint job and called it a um, you know a, a snow trolley or something like that. That's what I, I I think they were trying to achieve. The coolest thing I have to say out of that book is the Imperial Outpost, and now that would have been almost a, a completely new molding, uh, which is why it sort of stands out from the rest of the, the stuff that they were sort of uh, looking to produce. That that was fantastic. That had like a a gun from the Death Star, and they had a picture of an Atat next to it, and it just, it, I, I can imagine that as a toy would have been fantastic, and they should have done that a, much earlier in the line uh, as an uh, either an Empire or Jedi piece. It would have looked fantastic. But yeah, I, I, you know, at 1984, 85, when they were pitching this stuff, it was, it was dead. No more Star Wars on the horizon. You know, forget it. I think you're right about that Imperial Outpost. What I love... I love about it. I, I was looking at it earlier. Is the um, you got the attack, but the the loading bay kind of lines right up with the opening of the attack, so you could have like loaded up your attack properly. Uh, just just the little touches of things like that. It would have been a real big chunk of uh, plastic and cardboard. I would imagine a, a majority of it would have been done in cardboard to achieve that um, sort of height. Love it. Now, Craig, I still think it's a, a the the sand speeders. You know, you've got you've got a failing line, and you're trying to reinvigorate it by bringing out something that wasn't on screen. I find a little bit odd. What what ships and vehicles can you think of that we saw on screen that wasn't produced that would have been a, a better option to have gone down? Well, as, as a kid, I totally bought into the minimigs. The fact that these things were just off screen, I just I never really questioned it. You know, I I embraced them uh, as much as I did the rest of my uh, my toys. And I think what Mark was saying is that they, they were trying to find ways of you know, reuse things and remodel things. But I think they were also looking at, at new ships. So they were looking at the Tantive Four, weren't they? And the TIE Bomber. And I think the X-Wing, which, sorry, the A-Wing um, that, that ended up being part of the droids line, they were initially looking at for the Power of the Force line. You know, there's there's mock, mocked up artwork for the box that exists for that. But I, I think there's one thing that, that they've overlooked, and they've overlooked this in the, in the modern line as well. Uh, and I've only seen it, you know, production-wise, reproduced in Lego, and that's the 9000Z001 Landspeeder. Does that ring any bells? Is that the one in the homestead? Not the homestead. That's the black one you see in um, on Tatooine, and it's got like um, a tail fin with jets at the top, hasn't it? It's not that one. So as as you're picturing the cantina. To the, to the right of the canteen, there's a, a semi-spherical ah, yeah. object with big portholes in it. It's white. That was built as a land speeder. So on the original blueprints, it's written as a, as a, as a land speeder. Uh, and, in, and, in, uh, and in the universe terms, I'll read this from Wikipedia, uh, the 9000Z001 land speeder was an Obrikian model commonly used around the time of the Battle of Yavin. It was modelled from the 9000 land speeder, which had been aimed at Ugo customers, but had flopped. So basically, this was a, a little uh, land speeder that was totally enclosed. It could hold up to six people, and they would all sit in a circle with one pilot, look out of the uh, of the portal windows, 
and and get you from A to B, which I think would have made a great little mini rig style toy. Looking into the development of it, um, it was um, it was based on the little pods from two thousand and one, the little the little uh, single man uh, pods in there, which is which is where it got this name, uh, Ubrickian, which is a little nod to to Kubrick. Come on, who wouldn't have wanted that? I, the, I, I, I'm, this, honestly, Craig, probably, honestly, mate, I I I wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have bought it. I would have avoided it. <laughs> I love it. I liked my mini rigs, and it sort of fits that. It fits that place, you know. Take it, take it off to your grandma's when you have to go stay at your grandma's for for the afternoon. Rather lugging a massive piece of plastic around, you just got that and a couple of figures. You you were easily <laughs> pleased as a child. <laughs> Big imagination. Give, I'd fill the give gap. me the Millennium Falcon any day of the week, mate. <laughs> One of the things that I like. Nowadays, when you look at stuff like Mandalorian on TV and, and you look at some of the new movies, but they do sort of a little bit of fan service, don't they? And they do sort of homages to some of the toys which weren't in the original movies. You know, we've seen it and uh, uh, and we're always looking out for, oh, yeah, look at that, look at that. Uh, look at the Imperial Troop Transport, etc. I was going through this book and there was, I think it was on page, let's have a little look, on page 12 blue four droid concept droid. And i don't know if you guys have got access to this now uh, but if you're able to check out blue four droid looks ah. very much like a droid which we've seen in a recent standalone movie it looks like um l3 yeah and i love it i, I really love it that the star wars storyboard people now you know that one of my things which i dislike the most about the star wars sort of fandom and stars communities some people who are sort of very overly critical of things and, and they're quite vocal about what they dislike so i just keep that to yourself man just let's just enjoy the love but what, what i do love is the fact that the people who are in charge of star wars storyboard and the designers uh, and all the talented people behind it are clearly going back through the archives and looking at some of this stuff and I think they do regurgitate it and they do look back at some original Macquarie stuff and, and some of the people who are doing these original sketches and they do bring them back. And I just think that's such a great service, not just fan service, but service to the people who were behind Star Wars in the 70s and 80s. I love that sort of stuff. That's absolutely spot on what you've said there, mate. And it's what I find quite jarring. I know this is going a, a bit sort of off tangent but it's what i find quite jarring about how the original trilogy looks to how the prequels look to how the um the new films look the new films jj was very specific in going back to what ralph Macquarie had created for star wars and empire and jedi and he if you look at some of the the architecture ship designs and all the rest of it that was all very inspired by Ralph Macquarie. The prequels, no offence to Doug Chang, he did some absolutely great work, but it just jarred with what Ralph had created and it almost felt like a different place. So, yeah, I, with in terms of The Mandalorian, again, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, they've taken really very heavy influence from the original trilogies in how things look and how things work and the architecture and, and, and the rest of it. And it th that's why um, I think it looks as good as it plays out. I think it's fantastic. Just to, just to go back to your Blue 4 there, Jez, do you, do you remember um, the AS 
P7 droid that was in the special editions. Oh, uh, which special edition was that one in? So there's a SP7. there's in the Star Wars where he um he's he's lifting something and Mos Eisley right. near the where oh, he runs right, yeah. raises yeah. up with the jar on it. Yeah, it's I, I power think... of the Force two figure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that looks like a real kind of descendant of. Uh, of, of the blue four here that we're looking at. Did anyone go through the um, rest of these pages? Because Jez has picked out a droid there, but the um, the Imperial Attack Droid A is quite interesting as well. It's got it's been made, it's been kit bashed with two on B's legs and arms, with IG88's torso, and then some kind of like heavy infantry on the on its head, like a gun coming out its its head, and <laughs> a really strange looking idea. Dreadful. Uh, and uh, that is is this the same inspiration for that mongo beefhead type yeah. character i've just got that open at the moment <laughs> i mean that, that is just shocking it's shocking um i mean there's nothing new or original there they've just basically turned squidhead's head <laughs> 90 degrees and put full arms harness um over the body and it just it looks bloody it's dreadful got, it's got hammerhead's arms as well isn't it yeah dreadful <laughs> got to give the intern something to do Guys, I just sent you something, which I know, Stu, you and I have discussed this before, but with regards to kitbashed stuff and, and or things which they could have made, nearly did made, in some cases there are photos, as we've seen there, photos of sort of, um, of production work, but there's this thing which I just sent you a link to, which I really, really wish as a kid they had made, because I'd love to own one now. I don't know if you've all had a chance to open this link at all. Yeah. It's, it's all the Star Wars collector's That's archive. Which, uh, which to me is brilliant. So, you know, we've all seen the old uh, Han and Luke blaster guns. So for them to just to strip out the insides of one of these and put a little grommet sort of or what have you at the back and turn it into a Han Solo blaster squirt gun, who would not have wanted one of those as a kid? That, as you say, an absolute no-brainer. And to me, it's just a travesty that they didn't make that in the 80s. Oh, I would have loved that. Yeah, some fantastic things. Out, out of everything on that list that was in this booklet, the Banthers got a was a, a banker for me. While well, they never made that, would have been incredible. You had a Jew back and the Rancor and what's, but to miss I, the Banther. I remember uh, it would have been nineteen ninety three, ninety yeah, ninety two, ninety three. I was at a, a, a chess hunt fair. And uh, Jim Stevenson was there, and he had with him, he had privately commissioned somebody to make a Banther, and it done the box, the figure, and everything in it. It was stunning, absolutely amazing. And he'd, he'd spent an awful lot of money getting this thing commissioned. And bear in mind, this is a time when, you know, even doing the graphics for the box would have been a real major job, a professional job, because this was before Macs were widely used. You know, colour printing was very, very limited at that particular time, uh, sort of short run stuff. And it just got it absolutely perfect, absolutely amazing thing. And uh, I, I have no idea what happened to that. When when Jim sold his collection, I, I really don't know what happened to it, but I know he spent a lot of money on it. I don't know if any of you boys went to see Matt Fox's toy kind of show thing, which toured, you know, the museum piece thing that toured the country. But uh, Yes, from, they made it to be with you. Yeah, he, he's from my local area. And so that started in Canterbury and he had commissioned a few, um, they were loose bits, but bits off this list, actually. There's He had the tandem X-Wing and all that kind of stuff, but he had had a Bantha made like that, but not with a box or not. 
I'll see if I can find a photo of that, because I did have some photos of that. Maybe we can stick that up. But Because he'd had a few bits and pieces made. It had Tarkin made. Be interesting to know if he had a Mongo Beefhead tribesman made, Mark. I'm kind of um, tempted well, to get one made for you for your Christmas present next well, year. I'll tell you what, mate. If, if you send me one of them in the, in the post for Christmas, you'll be getting it straight back, because it <laughs> takes it takes absolutely zero effort to come up with something like that. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, What's the body on it? It's, it's a squid head, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I reckon I can make that for you. Well, um, that, that is your mission, should you choose <laughs> to accept it. Yeah, yeah. I'll um, I'll do a YouTube video of me making it. You'll, you'll enjoy that. I will do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well worth taking a look, a look down that list. Just um, go to the SWCA and search the line extension because uh, there's 40 pages there. There's a couple of pages which has gone missing, which you can't see, but everything else. It's brilliant. Even like the Millennium Falcon cargo thing that slips into the front of the Falcon. We saw that used in Solo, didn't we? That idea. I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. And they could have run with that and had all kinds of stuff. As a mini rig, you yeah. know, that's that's ideal. Why that wasn't uh, made is it's craziness. But uh, what I will say is if anyone listening does know anything about Circus World or that topic or any of the other topics we've spoken about, please get in contact with us. You can email us at generationskywalker at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look for Generation Skywalker. Check out the YouTube channel. Again, just search for Generation Skywalker. And uh, fingers crossed the website won't be too long after the show. That is generationskywalker.com. For this first show, breaking us back into everything, it is goodbye from Jez. See you later, guys. Thanks very much. Goodbye from Mark. Good night, guys. And it is goodbye from Craig. Cheers. And we are Generation Skywalker. <laughs>